electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Steve Grosso, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Nike soaring back from the lows it hit after launching its Colin Kaepernick ad, as one top analyst calls it, quote-unquote, a stroke of genius today. But was it? Plus, Hurricane Florence is a monster, now a Category 4 storm as it approaches the East Coast. That has energy prices surging, and a top technician says this is just the beginning. But first, we start with the final countdown. That's right, we're just about 20 hours away from Apple's event where it could unveil its biggest iPhone ever, plus upgrades to a number of its other products, including the Apple Watch. Now, the stock soared today ahead of the event, also UBS hiking the price target on the stock, but sometimes we see a bit of a sell-the-news panic after these events. Ultimately, the stock always rebounds. So with the name near all-time highs, do you just keep buying Apple, Guy? Yeah, I don't think so. I think if you're in for, for 6 7 8%, I think that's your upside at this point. We've talked about $240 or so being sort of the top end of the range in terms of valuation, in terms of what makes sense in this marketplace. So if that's your end goal, I say that's fine. But I do think there's a chance that maybe we rally a couple more dollars and then this thing fades. So unless you're looking for that 7% to the upside, I think you take some profits here ahead of this event and look to buy it cheaper. And when I say cheaper, you could see the stock back down to 185, 190, not unlike what we saw with Amazon a week and a half ago. We had a similar conversation and said it's probably ahead of its skis. There's a chance it yeah, wouldn't that's, be that's ridiculous to see it down though. to 1850, got down to 1900 or so in its bounce. So you could absolutely see the same type of situation. I, I, think that app, I, I don't think that Apple is considered Momo. So it could have Momo characteristics. I just don't think it's a Momo stock. It's not treated like that. It's treated like a value stock. Uh -huh. So I do think that with these price targets, 250 now, it's a magnet to that number. Yeah, I don't think you have to get crazy with it, but I'm just more in the guy's camp where you want to buy this on the dip. I mean, you look at who's buying this now. It's Warren Buffett. Why is he buying it? Because things don't. he likes to buy things that don't change. The last thing you're going to do is get rid of your cell phone. If you have an iPhone and you're locked in the ecosystem, the last thing you can do, no matter what the economy is going to do, is you're going to get out of that ecosystem. So it's kind of like Wrigley's chewing gum, right? You're not going to stop buying Wrigley's chewing gum.
chewing gum, you're not going to stop buying Apple. So I think it's okay to buy it on right. the. So on the I guess the real issue there is that they haven't been growing units for the last few years, right? And so we're talking about a very saturated, high-owned cell phone market. So when we go into this event tomorrow, there's really going to be nothing that we don't know. They are not going to surprise us with anything. One hey, thing at Apple. Would the pricing be a surprise? Uh, right. It could be. That's what they have been growing, the average selling price. Well, that's right. But I suspect that it's not going to go much higher. The entry-level uh, memory is going to go up in these phones year over year. Now, pricing has come down a little bit on some of that stuff, but that's where they get a lot of their margins. So as far as I'm concerned, the big issue that investors have right now as valuation is hitting, you know, multi, multi-year levels, at least decade-high levels on a P.E. basis is our margins, gross margins, can be able to stay above 38%, which is where they've been for years. And at some point, this is going to be a very commoditized product. And if you don't start to see services and some of these other products really pick up the slack, then you have an issue here where no matter what the installed base is and what they think is two, three years old, you're not seeing these but that's services. But that's $30 billion, though. So I think it that's has right. picked up slack. And I do think that the ASPs are the most important part, that I don't think that you're going to see a hell of a lot that's new. If they could hold on to these average selling prices, they're going to make up for whatever decrease or whatever slowing. And that's where pricing comes in. I mean, right. Goldman Sachs came out yesterday saying, you know, if, if they launch this lower-end new phone at $699, that's not going to be that great for margins. No. And then you got to wonder, is there going to be any sort of cannibalization? Are you, as somebody who's going to upgrade your phone, choose the 699 lower model versus another model, which would ultimately depress average selling prices? I, I mean, their, their pattern so far has been to release multiple models at a given time. Remember when they uh, did the iPhone X or 10 or whatever they decided to call it, you still had the iPhone 8, and that right. actually did cannibalize sales. I still think as an investor, though, the name of the game here is what you're playing is that services are going to pick up. Now, I agree with Dan. At some point, that is going to matter if it, they don't pick up. But today, that's still the carrot out there for investors. I guess the other portion is where, where is this company going to grow units, at least in smartphones? It's going to be emerging markets, right? And this is where they're going to mm -hmm. position these lower-end phones that may have much lower margins. But here's the other thing that's really important about services. In a lot of these emerging markets, they're already embedded in services that they're using in China, WeChat in India and in Indonesia and some of these other places they're using other messaging apps so they're not they're, they're, they're you don't think as, they were using other messaging it's, it's, apps here other services apps here and I think no, they have made it's all they have made a major impact at least I know that I use them for more services now I never did before but I think that's the key is that maybe here as well as international they could leave a mark too I also think part of the move today was China ratcheting back some of the rhetoric, seemed to take a softer tone, and I think that's what led to the market rally, and that's probably helped Apple as well. Now, if you believe that, that's great. I'm still of the belief that I don't think anything gets done with China before the midterms. Quite frankly, I don't think anything gets done the rest of this year, given what's going on in the United States. So you're going to get the ebbs and flows of the China tariff thing. I think you're on the positive ebb of it now. There's no sense, there's no reason not to believe we couldn't see it negative next week. And what if China decides to retaliate using qualitative measures? What if we see a scenario like what happened in 2014, and granted this was under different circumstances, but they didn't give Apple the permit to sell the iPhone 6 on mainland China. Completely different circumstances, but this underscores the point that China can decide to not grant a permit for sales of an iPhone on mainland China. This, yeah, but this, this, is a, this is actually a broader thing. So what was yeah. the news today that, uh, that they're threatening some people in Washington of sanctioning some, some Chinese officials over, um, you know, some issues with, uh, you know, ethnic Muslims in the... 
Yeah, mm -hmm. these are big, big issues, right? So what are they? They're nationalistic issues. So what, what you're getting at is, is that if they want to protect their own, we know that Xiaomi has made huge, huge efforts in hardware in China. This is something, um, you know, that they could easily retaliate on. I think it's really important to remember that we're talking about manufacturing. Foxconn is one of the largest employers in China. They have a million workers making these iPhones there, and I think this is going to be one. I think China's both, staying away. Both from sides that. are going to. Well, but here's the thing. On, on your line. point of the broader, if yeah. you're, you know, if you're, we're just focusing on Apple, and all of a sudden. Apple doesn't get the permit. I think in this environment today, very different than 2014, you would have a very different market reaction. In fact, you'd have a broad market reaction because that would be extrapolated to say that the trade war is getting worse, in my view. So, I don't, you know, if you're talking about buying Apple, you're going to get hit on everything else as well. I don't think it's going to get worse. I think that many people didn't believe that the U.S. has leverage over China. I do believe that the U.S. has leverage over China. I do believe that just from the mere surplus uh, that we have over them, what we bring into this country versus what they bring into theirs, I think we still have leverage over Yeah, them. but, you know, I heard that today on the network a lot. And I think what's the thing is really important, when you think about here where we are with probably, like, peak earnings growth uh, as a percentage, where are most U.S. multinationals going to get their growth from? It's going to be Asia. from emerging markets. It's going to be from China. So when you're pricing in equity valuations, you have to price in the potential for growth. And if you shut off that valve to China, that is a huge, huge... I don't think that valve's shut off. That's well, what I'm saying. I, th I think that all the, all the news, I think, is already priced in the market as far as a negative headwind. I think that things... So guy you might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager might be right. Nothing might get done. But as long as the rhetoric is slightly better than we've heard over the last month or two, I think that's enough to keep this market up. I like to think that we have, I don't think we have the leverage we'd like to believe that we have. In we my have opinion, leverage in terms of the tit for tat, dollar sure. for dollar tariffs. Yeah. We don't necessarily but have I, the same leverage in terms of. I don't think they want to do that, though. I think that, I, I agree with you. I just don't think they want to go down that road. Yeah, but if the game is if their, if their game is ten years, not ten days, then they have all the leverage in the world. Or that's just my opinion. I'm not con I'm not convinced that's right. I mean, yeah, if you just look at it in terms of stock market, their market's down 25 percent. Ours is basically flat. President Trump can say we're winning, and in those metrics, we are. But I don't really think he cares you, one way or another about that. Do you think China wants to wait ten years to win? Does 100%. China strike you? They, yeah, China they play the long game. They, they re yeah. China does not strike me as a country that's willing to wait ten years to win. Really? I think, I, no, no. I don't, I don't think is so. Is this the same China that, the, that I've seen? You mean, that, one, that is, you mean the one with slowing growth? I mean, the, the one with slowing. our growth ramping up and China's growth coming in? Not a they chance don't, they in the just world. barely had a problem. They, Literally they, in the world that okay. China's Okay, well, we'll see. It. You better be right, because otherwise the market's well, going much years, lower. Ten years, I might owe you a dollar. Exactly. <laughs> what will that dollar be worth in ten years? <laughs> um, our next guest says dump tech here and buy value. Let's uh, welcome Joe Zidal, Blackstone's investment strategist. Joe, welcome to the desk. 
Thanks uh, for having me. How do you feel about technology at this point where we have narrow leadership? Um, what are the valuations like? In your the valuations in tech are, are getting stretched. You know, if you look at the 15-year average valuation for tech, they're about 1.25 times that. There's other cyclical sectors out there like energy materials and industrials that have just as much sensitivity to profits, just as much sensitivity to, you know, growth in the United States that are trading at lower valuations. So the reason why you want cyclicals in this environment is because when profits are expanding, you know, you get that exposure, you're tied to that profits growth. But of all the cyclical sectors out there, discretionary and tech are the two most expensive. I'm glad you mentioned those two in particular because these are the two sectors that arguably could feel the most pain if we have another round of tariffs imposed, at least on the consumer side, right? Prices will probably go up because it's such a, a, a broad swath of products that the tariffs would hit. These are also the sectors that haven't taken a discount for tariffs. And so does that factor in? I mean, would you anticipate that a hit to these sectors could actually be deeper than a hit that we've seen I'll elsewhere? say a couple things. Number one, the tariff, uh, you know, trade war with China is not going away anytime soon. I don't know if it's necessarily going to slow growth, but I think the more practical implications is it's going to cause higher input prices, right? You don't have a lot of CEOs talking about trade wars, but you have a lot of CEOs talking about input prices. The two are one and the same issue. So I think for discretionary tech, you know, that could be a problem. But across the board, I think you, we have to expect higher and higher input prices, whether it be through tariffs or higher oil and gas or tight labor markets, et cetera. Now, the good news for equities is the beginning portions of inflation are actually very good for stocks, especially those cyclicals, because they have the ability to grow their businesses, their revenues, their sales, et cetera. As inflation takes more and more hold, though, it starts to become problematic. But for right now, I think the inflationary story, especially from sort of the trade war itself, is not inherently bad news for equities. The thing I'd worry about is the fixed income side of a portfolio, right, because it's gotten such massive inflows since this bull market started in 2009. It's like people have not embraced equities. They've gone full-on into traditional fixed income, and that's, I think, a little bit more problematic. Do you think, though, that when we think about this trade war, because obviously on the desk here, you know, some of us believe that we think that, that, that you know, we can kind of hold out a bit here and China can hold out a bit here. Um, but when you think about manufacturing, think about supply chains, it's not so easy to change 30, 40 years of this. And so when you see the president tweeting at Apple saying, build your iPhones here, that would take decades to really do in the ca capacity that we're talking about right now. Yeah. So is that a fundamental problem about this? We really are not going to be able to fix that. You know, you, you really nail an important issue, and that is this is a game of chess. This is not simply just like, hey, here's tariffs on $200 billion, and then they put on tariffs against, you know, $100 billion, whatever, and you sit back, you add them all up, and you say, oh, it's not that bad. We're a $17 trillion economy. What people miss in trying to add up the damage that tariffs have done is that this is a global interconnected supply chain with a lot of knock-on effects. And I think from that perspective, we need to consider this to be a game of chess, and it's going to have tremendous knock-on implications that are really difficult for companies to, to forecast and adapt to. I think all in all, the thing you have to be prepared for is disruptions to that supply chain. It will probably drive CapEx, right, and probably drive CapEx onshore because companies are going to want to try to protect their, their infrastructure, their supply chains, et cetera. So, I mean, there could be a bullish story or silver lining to companies uh, from that perspective, but I think it's going to make it harder and harder for companies to plan. So, Joseph, I wanted to go back to the fixed income part of the people's portfolio because we're hearing that there's input cost pressure. But on the fixed income side, we're not seeing it in bonds. Inflation index bonds aren't really showing any future inflation at whatever. So what happens to your portfolio or the equity side of your call if we don't get that inflation? 
Yeah, well, here's the thing. June of 2016, I think, was like the end of this 34-year bond bull market, right? That's when the 10-year Treasury yield hit 1.35%. Today, it's sitting close to 3%. Over that time, investors put uh, something like they pulled about $137 billion out of U.S. equity mutual fund and ETFs combined and put over $600 billion into fixed income. Over that same time period, the S&P 500 is up 45%. The Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is up 10 basis points. So in other words, investors have gone full on in fixed income at a point when we're in a bear market for bonds. They are thinking perhaps there's no inflation or perhaps they're stuck with this lower for longer mentality or perhaps it's the recency bias where they take what happened in the recent past, the great financial crisis, and say it's going to happen again. Either way, they've gone full on into traditional fixed income. And if you look at where those flows went, they went intermediate duration. That's a problem when inflation starts to rise because we've got to think about what's going to happen, what's the investment world going to look like when the 10-year Treasury hits three and a quarter or three and a half percent, and it means investors are going to take losses in a fixed income that they haven't taken since prior to 1982. Wow, Joe, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it, Joseph Zidal. All right, Steve, what'd you do today? So I was looking at Alibaba because I do think that these trade te- headlines are going to, I don't, I don't want to say dissipate, they're, they're not going to get to the point where you don't see them, they're not existent anymore, but I do think they're going to be more encouraging. So Alibaba is on my radar screen, Macau Casinos on my radar ske- screen, they're still hitting headwinds though. Speakers? Uh, well, for me, last night my final call was the Russell. That's where I played today. But also on the tech side of my portfolio, I didn't really make any changes. Even though we had some big downdrafts today, I didn't make any changes. I mean, if I, if I look at some of the tech and the chips in particular, you know, they seem to me to be looking like a cash machine at this point in time. And I think, which seems to be at a, at a trend line here, I'd want to be buying these. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, Cat was one that I kind of identified uh, earlier in the summer as one that should really bear the brunt of a lot of these headlines. At this point, it went down to 130. It's back at 140. I had a bearish position. On, I took that one off here because I just kind of feel like there is a lot of news in this stuff, and it may take us a little longer to kind of digest this. And at some point, we're not going to be so, um, uh, you know, headlines are not going to be as important, I think, on single stocks. Beginning of the month, quickly, we talked about Amazon. Can it continue? We said probably yes, but first it'll probably trade to 1850. Well, it got the 19 and change reversed today. Again, in terms of risk-reward, I think today's low gives you something to trade against with Amazon. All right, coming up, Nike bounces back after the launch of its Colin Kaepernick ad, and one analyst is calling it a campaign, uh, a stroke of genius, but one trader on the desk disagrees. Plus, check out for the stock hovering near a six-year low, failing to rally despite a strong economy. So what is wrong with Ford? We've got a special report. And later, energy prices are surging as Hurricane Florence barrels towards the East Coast, and a top technician says this could be the beginning of the rally. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, 
which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We've got a news alert on comments from billionaire investor Jeff Gunlock. Let's get to Seema Modi for the details. Hey, Seema. Hey, Melissa. That's right. Fresh comments from Jeffrey Gunlock, who says he would not put new money into the market, into the S&P 500, which he says is being driven by a few stocks. In fact, he says he would not invest in e-commerce stocks, given strong gains that we've already seen. However, he says investors that are going to be in global equity should be overweight international and emerging markets. Interesting, given the amount of distress we've seen uh, in the emerging world. On currencies, Gunlock says the next big move in the dollar will be down. He says the U.S. dollar uh, is expected, he says, to be lower uh, by year end. We'll continue to look through these comments, but those are the, the biggest uh, headlines coming from Jeffrey Gunlock. Melissa. All right. Seema, thanks. Seema mm -hmm. Modi in the newsroom. So what do you make of uh, Jeffrey Gunlock's advice, especially when it comes well, to emerging markets and international. Yeah, and to me, it's all back to the dollar, right? I mean, we've had this kind of emerging markets cri currency crisis, and that's hit the equities there. So if you think the dollar is going to be lower, you know my view, the dollar is the new VIX. So that means the VIX, the world VIX is lower. That should be good for all equities. If you want the torque, as my friend Stephen will say, ah. you want to be in the international equities. Yeah, well, I just read this in the Wall Street Journal this morning, that today is the 54th day in a row that we have had not had a 1% move in the S&P 500, okay, up or down on a closing basis. And the last time that happened was into January, into the highs in January. So to me, it seems like we're pretty complacent right here. We are back at those highs. We did make some new highs. We haven't really shown any torque to the upside. Um, well, it's kind of weird, though, when we got a couple of trade, uh, trade positive headlines today, the way the market did rip. So it almost gave you a little right. bit of, uh, of foreshadowing what could happen if we start to see I, some I of this I think that we're traction. in a new era of, of rip because rip Seven once upon a time yeah, used to be like a percent yeah. move and well, now it's like 0.2% well, we and we're We're in spitting distance of the all-time highs, so rip is, is probably adequate. This is there point. a difference between rip and torque? Rip and torque. It depends. There's okay. degrees of it. I, just wondering. <laughs> Does the narrow game. leadership in the S&P 500, as uh, Gunlock points out, you know, bother and you? And we've talked about, I mean, it, it can oh, be concerning, fine. but we've talked about this a lot. I mean, you've always, I mean, all markets have had narrow leadership over the years. I mean, you've seen this, it's not like you haven't seen it before. And one of the points I make, a baseball analogy is, Red Sox are going to win 115 games this year. They have 25 guys on the roster. Doesn't mean all 25 are playing out of their mind. They're probably being carried by five or six people, the same way the market is. Doesn't take away from the fact that they're the best team in baseball. Doesn't mean they can't continue to win. So narrow leadership, to me, is not a reason to go out and sell everything. There are other reasons. That's not one. Let's switch gears here. It's been a week since Nike's controversial Colin Kaepernick ad sent shares racing lower. But the stock has now retraced all those losses, closing above where it was the day before the sell-off. And this amid reports the company saw online sales spike more than 30 percent after the announcement. Now, the move prompting Canaccord Genuity to upgrade the 
stock to a buy today, raised its price target to $95. The firm calling the Kaepernick ad a, quote, stroke of genius. The firm also cited the innovation that the company has spent on products and new products. Now, this has been overall a hot-button issue since its release over Labor Day weekend, sparking outrage as consumers threatened to boycott the brand, including our very own Steve Grasso. I'm not going to buy Nike products. So they might play the real super long game. This is the super, super long game because my kids are not going to be exposed to it. Therefore, they're not going to know that as a brand as much as we knew it as a brand growing up. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'm probably going to go elsewhere because I don't agree with it. I'll go elsewhere. Stock is up 5% since then. So Grasso. Well, I think we were unanimous across the board that it wasn't going to affect the stock, and that's what I said that night, that I didn't think it was going to affect the stock. It's an international company. There's a lot of people outside this country that don't care whether we take a knee or not take a knee. So that's not the uh, reason why I didn't agree with it. I didn't agree with it because I didn't agree with the venue. And I agree with with Nike Mm -hmm. doing this. uh, It seems overly contrived to me, and I didn't want to play a part to it. So for me, stock-wise, it can still rip. Under Armour's up more year-to-date than Nike is. But for me, I'm just not buying you know, Nike. You know, I, I think it's interesting, Steve. You know, in a few years, the kids who are not allowed to own Nikes right now, they're going to be woke, right? And they're going to be able to buy whatever the heck they want. And this is the move that Nike is making, right? When you think about it. And I, you know, I, I'm just saying that right. they're going to basically say there's a lot of people who are aging and who are, like, having less and less disposable income who may agree with you. But then there's all these other people well, who are the emerging they get who it. actually, you know, like this is a message that they, it we speaks saw that, to them. We saw that, though. So, no, but I, I, what I'm saying no, is I think there's a lot of They don't, they don't care you, about anyone you know, I heard 35. This, this is really important. I heard this. This is, this is great. So, you know, so Professor Galloway, he comes on the network a lot. Yeah, He's a marketing guru. He basically said this, and it was really interesting. The most infamous, famous uh, athlete of the last 100 years is Muhammad Ali, and he was the most controversial, uh, you know, controversial athlete. Do you, you know, think four Kaepernick, years ago. Kaepernick is Muhammad Ali right no, now? No, what I'm saying is, is that this is the well, sort of bet everybody would have loved to a piece of this guy. But that, that's an interesting years. because at the time, Muhammad Ali, right, he didn't gain many supporters in the moment of time. Right. We look back on it and but, say that so was a courageous on, so now stand. This is the 30th anniversary no of their way just doing that, a campaign. That, that analogy stands on this. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from, but Kaepernick is no Muhammad Ali. I want to get back to the stock. Just because the stock recouped (laughs) all the losses, does that mean that the coast is clear? Are we convinced now that there's no impact on sales? I think it's actually a positive. I mean, I said it that day. I I think, again, they didn't do this in over six days. They probably did it over six to nine months. They had every focus group imaginable. I do think Nike knows their customer and their potential customers better than any uh, merchant on the planet. And I I said they're going to play the long game. They're not trying to sell Nikes to me, whether I agree with them or don't disagree with them. They're trying to sell it to a whole new audience of people. And in that regard, they're going to be successful. Yeah, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. They're already seeing online sales up. I mean, so that we will we will ultimately see the stock market has made its choice and it said this was a good move. Nobody's going to remember this this move in three months from now. No one's going to remember it. This is this is why I said this is an international company. This has for me, it has no play in the stock. This was my personal choice. No play in the stock. Set it then, say it. I, I think it's fantastic for the stock. One thing that you just said, they're already saying that online sales were up this. What is important about this is that Ike is doing more and more of their own direct sales to customers. They can control their message the way they want to. They don't have to worry about what Foot Locker thinks or what Amazon thinks or something like that. So to me, I think it's think, they're thinking about this, like you said, guy, over years and years. I think they're focused on your kids, dude, whether you like it or they, not. They they're going after the your kids are. and they're going to get them. Because you don't want your kids, they're going to go move to a big city. And that's what they did. And if Nike's, if 
Nike's clientele was over 35, they wouldn't have done this. That's why I said it's so contrived. That's why I think it's 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 all about messaging. That's it. There's no they don't care about him, you or me. By the way, that study at 30 up 30 percent on online sales, direct to consumer sales over the Labor Day weekend. That was over the entire weekend. We didn't know about the Kaepernick ad until later in the weekend. So it's counting. Well, they had a it's great a, Serena not, ad. That the sure, sure. But we didn't know about it. We didn't know about the ad campaign at all yeah, yeah. until Monday. Yeah. So we don't really know. We won't know the full effect yet. Those numbers also were not from Nike. They were from a third party agency. So just to be clear on that. But except except right now they're still getting advertising because we're still talking about uh, it. Yeah, definitely. So. Free advertising. Coming up, one of the biggest gaming stocks is diving in headfirst, going after its rival Fortnite, and investors are loving the competition. We will explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Judging by the stock, probably not. And we'll tell you why. Plus, energy prices are surging as a hurricane barrels towards the Carolinas. And a top technician says it's just the start of the rally. He'll give you the names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Hurricane Florence is barreling toward the southeast coast of the United States and is causing quite an impact on energy prices. Let's get to Jackie DeAngelis, who's out in Carolina Beach, North Carolina, with the details. Hi, Jackie. Hey, Melissa, take a look at this gas station today. This morning, they had a full amount of gas. They are sold out now, and this is more typical of what you're going to see in Wilmington, North Carolina, as people are evacuating the state right now. Across the street, there is gas, but the lines have gotten much longer. People are making those final preparations to get out of town, and this is more than two days in advance of the storm. That's because the governors of North and South Carolina have declared a state of emergency, and in the coastal areas, there are emergency evacuations uh, that are either in effect or will be going into effect. The impact on the energy industry, it's not about refineries, it's about the pipelines. They bring the gas up to the East Coast. If we get torrential uh, downpours and the flooding that's expected from the storm surges coming with Florence, you could have potential delays in moving that gasoline around. That could raise prices. I want to give you the latest here because the storm is growing in size. This is according to the National Hurricane Service. They say that the storm is stretching over 340 miles across. It's so wide that there is a life-threatening storm surge that's being pushed 300 miles ahead of the eye. Some models are predicting 45 or more inches of rain in parts of North Carolina. And speaking of that eye, and Noah tweeting out a photograph of it. I just want you to take a look at that really quickly. Uh, it's a really scary image, and the folks on the ground here are definitely intimidated by this storm. It could potentially be one of the worst that they've seen in 60 years. President Trump, very concerned about what's happening on the ground here as well, and he made some comments not long ago. They haven't seen anything like what's coming at us in uh, 25, 30 years, maybe ever. It's tremendously big and tremendously wet. So this is being called a monster storm, uh, and certainly every authority here 
local and at the state level saying it's better to be safe than sorry and it's better to get out of the area before this storm makes landfall on Friday morning. Melissa. All right, Jackie, thank you. Jackie DeAngelis in North Carolina for us. Well, our next guest says this is just the beginning of the energy rally, and there are three stocks that are worth a buy right now. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus Research Partners. Hey, Chris. Hey, Melissa. And yeah, I think there's a trade here within this energy sector. And let's keep in mind the backdrop is crude oil, if you look at Brent, is actually back at the highs. Crude's gone 70 to 80 uh, over the last several weeks. So we brought along first the XLE here. And when we just look at the trend the last two years, what stands out to us is you quietly have these higher lows taking shape. 72, 73 is good support here near the 200. We think that holds and we think you start to rally. So what stocks can we own if that's the backdrop? Let's start with a bombed out name. It's been bad, 60 all the way down to 35. It's Halliburton. But very quietly over the last several days, you've reversed off the very important $35 level. You've held those levels. We think it's not out of the question that you can bounce back to the 200-day moving average. That's near 44, 45. So certainly a rally candidate there. Let's look at a better chart longer term. This is EOG, which much like the XLE, has come right back to the 200, but still very much in the context of this uptrend with higher lows. 113, 114, very good support. We think ultimately this one resumes trend uh, and starts to make new highs. And then lastly, a big base taking shape here uh, on Apache. I think importantly, the 50-day moving average recently crossed uh, right above that 200. It's held the 200. We think decent entry point here particularly with crude oil getting a bit here. These are three names, APA, Halliburton, EOG, that can be bought. Why don't you come on over, Chris? Mm -hmm. Chris Verone is going to join the desk here. Michelle Guys, what do you Green think? Should Chris Thank come you, over? Michelle. What do you think? I, I don't I know. I don't care what you think. Those days are gone, BK. Long gone. Do these three names work based on a particular chart of oil that you see? I mean, yeah. do oil prices have to remain stable in order for these charts to work? I think lost in the discussion and the debate the last couple of weeks is Brent oil's gone 70 to 80 before we even knew about this storm, right? That this is not a storm story. Mm -hmm. There is a bid to oil here. I think the stocks have separated from that. I think that's a mistake. And I think the market's going to start to reflect that. Some of these beaten down names, the service stocks, bottomed on very big volume the last several days. Halliburton probably being the best uh, example of that. There's a trade here to be had. So, so I'm going to piggyback what you just said. So I think it's the value rush in overgrowth that we've seen in the last couple of days or weeks, let's say, because I don't think it's a storm because there's not going to be a supply disruption. There'll be a demand destruction at the end of the day. So do you think that tech is in trouble and that's why you're seeing the bid in energy? I think what's notable about tech, and we talked about this last week on the show, it's the social names that have been hit. The Cisco's have done just fine. The Qualcomm's have done just fine. Um, so there's a bit of a change in leadership within tech. When you look at the move towards value, industrials have been getting better for 12 weeks here uh, across the board. Caterpillar has not made new lows. You've seen Emerson make new highs. We know the rails and the trains and the truckers uh, act as well as they do. What I'm curious about, if this is a move more into value, does that gun lock thesis that we want to think about EN start to play out here a little bit? We can see that. And there were some notable reversals today. There was a reversal in BABA. There was a reversal in BABA. 
Baidu, is that the start of something in the more value-oriented uh, EM trade? Quickly, getting back to the XLE, you mentioned it. So since, I don't know, middle of May when it was trading close to 78, it's made a series of lower highs, lower lows in the XLE. So I look at it and say I'd rather buy it on a breakout maybe above 75 than to try to buck the trend here. Does that make sense? I would ordinarily say yes. But given the strength in crude, I at least think you have to back away from short. So if you made money on the short side here in energy over the last 12 weeks, great trade. It was the right one. It's time to back away from that here, given the strength in crude. Chris, thanks. Thank you. Chris Verone, Estrategis. Which one do you like? Uh, I actually just like oil in general, but if I was going to yeah. go with an equity, it would be XOP because I think that is a little more correlated to oil in general. I mean, I've been long oil all year long. What got me really bullish oil is when they said we were going to release some uh, oil from the SBR and oil went down and whoop, right back up. When a, any stock, commodity, anything goes up when it should go down, you got to be bullish. Still ahead, Ford shares stuck in reverse, trading at multi-year lows as the automaker struggles to make a turnaround. Is the stock's dividend at risk? Plus, Activision soaring more than 6% today after the gaming company goes after the multiplayer phenomenon, Fortnite. We'll tell you if it has more room to run much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of classic U.S. automaker Ford getting battered this year, now trading at its lowest level since 2012. For more on what is weighing the stock on the stock, let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Hey, Phil. And Melissa, we're not far from nine-year lows. We're talking about a price that Ford shares haven't seen since 2009. If it gets down under 9.23 a share, that's where it will be. And I get this question a lot from people. What's wrong with Ford? Why has it been so miserable over really the last couple of years? Well, a couple of things are weighing on this company right now. You've got lower profits in a number of areas, not only here in the United States, but also overseas. You've got a slow reaction to changing markets, whether it's in China, whether it's South America, whether it's in Europe. People are saying you should be moving quicker to react to some of those changing forces. And then finally, what's the autonomous vehicle strategy? It's unclear to the folks on Wall Street. We know that Ford is investing a fair amount in trying to develop these electric and autonomous vehicles. They're testing them in a number of areas. Some are being tested down in Miami. They're also being tested in Michigan and elsewhere around the country. But we're all waiting for Jim Hackett's turnaround plan. Now, they were supposed to give details about that turnaround plan in September. They postponed that meeting with analysts. Unclear when that will happen and when they'll give those details. So until that happens, a lot of people are looking at Ford and saying, not sure I should really touch it right now. And then there was what happened on Sunday, a tweet from the president, once again, taking aim at Ford and where it manufactures vehicles. The president tweeting, Ford has abruptly killed a plan to sell Chinese-made small vehicle in the U.S. because of the prospect of higher U.S. tariffs. And then he cites CNBC. That part of the tweet, by the way, is correct. Ford is not going to build a vehicle in China and export it to the U.S. because of the higher tariffs. Then he writes, this is just the beginning. The car can now be built in the USA, and Ford will pay no tariffs. The suggestion there is wrong. The suggestion that Ford will build the Focus active in the United States, that's not going to happen. They are not building that vehicle in the U.S. because it's a low-volume vehicle in terms of sales here in the U.S. They're building it in China because that's where they're going to sell most of them. They also build it over in Europe because they'll sell them over there. Here in the U.S., they might sell maybe 50000 It's not worth building here in this country. You know, Phil, how long has uh, Jim Hackett been CEO? 
More than a year. More than you a year. Go back. I think I think it was June of last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like an extraordinary, extraordinarily long time for CEO to have without really giving Wall Street a decent idea of what his plan is. And that's the problem, Melissa. The folks on Wall Street are, for the most part, in the dark. They have ideas about what he might do, a dramatic restructuring, maybe a big cut in the labor force. But other than that, I mean, they're waiting. They're waiting before they can say, okay, we get it. This makes sense. We think that Ford can make money on autonomous vehicles, et cetera. But until they get those details, a lot of people are saying, I'm not sure this is worth uh, going near these stocks. At the same time, it's, it's amazing to see the one-year performance of Ford versus GM, or at least the year-to-day performance of Ford versus GM. Both are down, and while GM has done better, right. both are down significantly, double-digit percentages. They tend to trade in tandem, yeah. even though these are companies going, to a certain extent, in different directions. Right. Uh, GM has made a lot of moves that Ford has not yet made, and yet investors tend to look at these two and say, well, they tend to go in the same direction, and that's what we're seeing right now. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau you joining bet. us from Chicago. Um, what I was talking about, one year, Ford is down 25%. One year, GM, year, to, date, year to date, excuse me, GM is down 17%. Is that right? I mean... GM's got the CEO and Mary Barra versus this Jim Hackett guy who's been on the job for more than a year, has no plan yet. Right. No, I, I think this uh, sentiment, sentiment on the autos is as negative as I have seen the sentiment on, on autos right but now. But the economic backdrop should be the I best the problem, for autos. I think the problem, that we've though, ever is seen. that they still have the, the stocks are overreacting to what the trade concerns are. I think this is more a secular issue. For the autos, then just all of the headlines that we currently see. But I had said on August 28th, I need Ford to trade above $10 on a couple of days. Do I try to buy it as using that as support? It was a one-day event. It's not I just this year. It's I mean, it's been for five years. I mean, what what is the last five years have you had? You've had low interest rates. You had a growing economy. You've had tax cuts. Now, I mean, what more do you want? And the stock can't get out of its own way now. To their, in their defense, the industry is being disrupted via autonomous cars, via Uber, ride-sharing, that type of thing. But five years, you should be able to do something. Well, here's the deal, right? So GM and Ford are each going to have about $145 billion in sales this year. GM has $8.5 billion in net income, and Ford has $5.5 billion. So that profitability that, that uh, Phil just uh, alluded to, GM's got a $47 billion enterprise value. Ford has a $27 billion. Investors have made their bet here, at least as far as U.S. autos are concerned, um, and Ford is clearly the loser. It's kind of ironic, though. The Ford bolt, is the one the that, didn't get, that, that didn't get bailed out 10 years ago and has a lot more Ford. debt. And, and so, therefore, they're facing a lot of other but issues, But I wouldn't too. say that GM, to Melissa's point, down 70%. The autos are sick. Yeah. The, the whole segment is sick. Nobody I don't think, I think you could say someone's victorious on this. <laughs> It's a big case point. I mean, the stock's been, Ford has been cut in half over the last four years. In the best car environment that we've seen since Henry Ford was selling cars 100 and years ago. And you remember ago. that. And I remember because I bought the first one. <laughs> so if you can't, thank you, if the stocks can't go up in an environment where the S&P is at an all-time high, consumer sentiment's better than it's ever right. been, I ask you, when is it going to go what up? What does it also say? We were talking about other industries that are just not participating right now. Steel. Shouldn't steel stocks be doing well? United Steel, letter X, just made a new 2018 low today. There's a lot of very economically sensitive 
groups that are not acting well right now. Your home builders, you mentioned it earlier in the day. Uh, you know, maybe there's some other stuff going on under the hood here. I, I mean, I know that Chris Verone mentioned industrials, and we're seeing some strength in some of them. We're seeing some strength in some of the transports, but it doesn't seem evenly distributed. All right. Well, options traders are betting the bottom could be in for shares of Ford. Let's get to Mike Cohen in San Francisco for more on that. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Given the price action that we saw on Ford today, it's probably not surprising that we saw some unusual put volume. But there were some other trades that indicated maybe we are going to be looking at a bottom being put in in the stock at some point. We saw sellers of the eight strike puts, and we also saw some buyers of the September nine and a half calls. About 2,000 of those traded for just under a dime. So that, those are people who are making bullish bets that the stock could get above that nine and a half dollar strike price by the dime that they paid, or up about three and a half percent by the end of the week. And I would say one other thing, just with respect to how this company is going to proceed going forward, the options market is suggesting that some form of a dividend cut is possible. If you look out to the Jan 2020 options, you see that the dividend that's implied in the options market is about 27% lower than it would be if they just continued the 15 cent quarterly dividend that they have right now. When that might happen, hard to say. Maybe as soon as next April, we could see a small dividend cut. That's what it looks like uh, for Ford right now. Mm. All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Co. in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, AMD on a tear over the last year, up nearly 200%. And the CEO just said something very interesting about the company's future to CNBC's Jim Cramer. We will bring you those comments. Plus, a battle royale is brewing as analysts expect Activision Blizzard's new Call of Duty game to deal a major blow to the popular Fortnite. Is Activision the ultimate gaming play? More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Activision Blizzard shares surging today as its popular Call of Duty game looks to take on rival Fortnite. Josh Lipton's out in San Francisco with all the details. Hey, Josh. Mel, surging is right. Activision roaring higher in today's trade as analysts started weighing in about the new upcoming Battle Royale mode for its Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Battle Royale refers to when big groups of players go at it until just one remains. Analysts like what they saw and heard. Benchmark's Mike Hickey telling his clients that what he saw greatly exceeded his expectations. Buzz from streamers was sensational, he said. Hickey reiterated his buy rating on Activision, saying he thinks the game's battle royale mode can generate more than 500 million of annual incremental sales. A broader question now, what does this game mean for the phenom that is Fortnite? Hickey tells me that he does not believe this is some kind of Fortnite killer, but he does think it's going to be very interesting to see this game's impact, meaning whether there's player migration from Fortnite to this new Activision game. After all, he says, Fortnite players do tend to be young, 12 to 14. They know these battle royale styles of play very well, and they love it. So he's betting they're going to want to give Call of Duty a try. Activision says Call of Duty Black Ops 4 is slated for release on October 12th. Other big-name titles are on the way, too. Remember, Take-Two's Red Dead Redemption 2 launches on October 26th. EA's Battlefield 5 on November 20th. Melissa, back to you. And are those new games, Josh, also multiplayer-featured formats? So it doesn't actually all fit within the same parameter. That's a good mm -hmm. question, Melissa. You know, I talked to analysts. You wouldn't necessarily call uh, Take-Two's Red Dead uh, Redemption 2 here falling in the same category. But these are all certainly big-name titles that investors are going to be watching. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco for us. All right, so why are you laughing? No, they should make, like, a Josh Lipton, like, 
video game. It would be unbelievable with that beard. He goes out there with like a vest on and just covering stories. Covering stories. <laughs> it would be. I said Apple long. That stock. The other stock you get e-sports. long. Listen, Dan did a great piece on OA a couple weeks ago about EA a risk reversal. I don't love that one, but I still love Take Two Interactive, which was up another three and a half percent. Electronic today. Arts actually postponed their release of Battlefield Five. Right. That's why it sold off yeah. about fifteen percent. But they postponed it to avoid the congestion of all these other companies coming out with Call of Duty and everything in October. So look for that one to actually bounce back in November. Yeah, so for you guys who are watching the OA. I was on with you. You were on with me that day. Part of the, it was exactly that. They had just kind of pushed this game out. I think that, obviously, right before the holiday season could be the great catalyst. The stock has not found a bottom yet, but somewhere around, I don't know, 110, 105. In that area, if it finds a bottom, that could be a good setup into the holiday season. Still ahead, Advanced Micro is on fire. The stock is up nearly 200% over the last year. The CEO just sat down with Mad Money's Jim Cramer, and we will bring you those comments when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast. AMD seems unstoppable, up nearly 200% this year alone. The CEO just sat down with Jim Cramer moments ago to talk about the company's turnaround. Take a listen. It's been an incredible, you know, couple of years for us. You know, for us, it was really about, um, you know, AMD always had great technology assets, and it was really about how do we put those assets to work and really get the strategy and the execution right. And I truly believe you need both strategy and execution. Do you keep betting on the stock after uh, this parabolic move? BK, you've been in this, right? I, I'm in it. Yeah, yeah, we're long it for our ETF. I stay long it. I mean, look, the wrong thing to do here, it's been a parabolic move for a while. The wrong thing to do has been to sell it, so I'm in it. Guy, this was your final trade to what? When? We started a talking about ago. this when Susquehanna Hat Company downgraded the stock back in March on the back of crypto fears. The stock traded down to $10.40. We said on this TV show they're making a mistake. Then Cowan upgraded. Then Susquehanna came back and said maybe we were wrong. Stock traded 17 and a half. We said it's got more room to the upside. I still think you stay with it. People will say on valuation it doesn't make sense. You buy these stocks on high valuations as opposed to buying them on low, like people are trying to do with Intel and Micron now. Uh It ain't working out. All right, catch the entire interview with Jim Cramer and the AMD CEO, Lisa Su, at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Up next, final trades. All right, welcome back. Quick programming note, be sure to tune in to CNBC's special documentary, Crisis on Wall Street, the week that shook the world. That premieres tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Time for the final trades. Go around the horn. Steve Grasso. Alibaba has been the poster child for trade concerns. I am still long. If you think those trade concerns are going away even slightly, get long Alibaba. BK. You know, I'm with Chris Barone. Oil looks like it's going to go higher. XOP, that's the way to play higher oil. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I'm with Warren Buffett. What did he say the other day about Apple? He wants to buy it 10% lower. I think you may have your shot in the next one. Gee. I'm with myself, I guess. I mean, everybody's with somebody. Are you and I'm always? here by myself. All like Eric Carmen. Yes, to answer your question. And positive news in Gilead after the bell. This actually might be really good for the stock there, folks. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money starts right now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.